Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Stockton, here as always with Connor Joshin. Uh, Connor, huge weekend in sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did the weekend go? Did you catch the Super Bowl? I did not catch the Super Bowl. I'm a bad sports fan. I was invited out to a, two, uh, to a few places by uh, you know some of the guys at the gym. Shout out you guys. I appreciate you trying to get me out of the house. But I did not partake. Uh, I have not been following the NFL season enough. Did you get out? Did you go do anything? Did you party on Super Bowl weekend? I did not. I watched a little bit of the game, uh, but like you, I haven't followed much of the NFL this season. Um, how about uh, the Volk match, the Volkanovski match? You catch that? No, but I caught the highlights. I caught a lot of, uh, I guess there was some controversy around it. Did you get to see that? Did you Did you trade out the NFL Super Bowl for the Volk match? I, I did watch the Volk match. Um, I'm impressed, man. Mm-hmm. Not too many people stave off, really, any Dagestani wrestler like that, but especially Islam and uh Volk proves, uh, I, I guess with the help of Craig Jones, Australians can wrestle. You heard it here. Yeah, and you saw Craig Jones. Obviously, Craig Jones is just <laughs> chirping immediately. Islam was asking him about, like, how to do arm bars and stuff like that. I love that. Uh, but it was a lot of great fun. Not only did we have that, but we had some stuff on flow, too. So I know that you uh, not only had, you know, your, your fingers in a few different Kool-Aid cups, but uh, over here at Flow, you wrote a great grappling bulletin article. So anyone wants to catch up with what we're doing, over here on our side of things our man Corey hit a beautiful ride up for us we appreciate that Corey. so let's get right into that yeah. stuff because chance was another like just a couple hours after the uh, islam versus volk match uh chance took off in south korea it was at 1 a.m our time 2 a.m eastern mm-hmm. uh, around 4 p.m i think out in south korea but really incredible card i loved the format of this it was two eight-man brackets plus a super fight. But we talked about this a little bit last week. Mm -hmm. The thing that really appealed to me was, so the brackets are set up in this pool of five established veterans and three more up-and-coming guys, the guys that had to qualify to be into the event. Now, the three guys took the mat individually, the the number one qualifier, the runner-up, and the third-place qualifier. And one by one, as the match started, the first-place qualifier walks to the back of the room where the five guys are sitting, and he says, you. I'm fighting you first. And then so they go out to have their match, and uh-huh. the second-place qualifier now goes, and he has to make the walk all the way down to the back of the chairs to the remaining four guys yeah. and says, 
I'm facing you. Let's do this. Yeah, no hiding behind a screen, no chirping on social media, none of that. You got to look the guy in the eye and say, hey, I think you're, maybe you're saying, I think you're the easiest matchup. Maybe that's one way. I think that's what a lot of people would go. But also, maybe some of these athletes came out and said, no, 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 no. I want the challenge. I want the smoke. Corey, were there any of these choices that kind of stood out to you as far as wild picks for the first round? We had a couple of them. I want to get to one when we talk about uh Andy Murasaki, but first I want to talk mm -hmm. about Maram Alves because mm -hmm. it seemed very clear to me that none of the three guys who got to pick wanted to pick Maram mm -hmm. or Sam Nagai. Those two guys were the guys left over yep. after uh, after the three initial people made their picks, right? Mm -hmm. So Maram uh, and and uh, Maram and Sam Nagai are left over. They have but it's immediately to me one of the best matches of the year. Now it's early on in the year, it's February, but this match just had everything. Maram hit a huge takedown. Sam Nagai throws up this incredible flying triangle. They sweep back and forth. And here in the last 40 or so seconds of the match, uh, Nagai goes to settle the score. He's now down by two points. And Maram just says no, stonewalls him, really heavy hips. And that was something we saw from Maram Alves, who eventually won the tournament. He won the 65-kilogram bracket, won the $10,000 for the chance title. But Maram just had phenomenal wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, hit a, he hit that initial takedown on the guy. He hit a beautiful knee pick on uh, Fabricio Andre. And the only person who he didn't take down, Jamil Hill Taylor, who was uh, Maram's former teammate at TLI, uh, he didn't take him down because... Uh, Jamil, the established guard player, of course, pulled guard. But Mayron passed that guard, got to the back, scored four points, and uh, and rode out that victory. That's exciting. And if you're not hearing that correctly, yes, Mayron Alves went through probably the three toughest people in the bracket that you could possibly, you know, try and line up against. You got Nagai, you got Jam Shane Jamil Hill-Taylor, and you got Hokage, Hokage himself. Excuse me, Fabricio Andre. Uh, what what a run. Uh, and to do it all while you're dancing through people's guards. Look at that. You're on people's backs. You're not getting just little tiny points victories with advantage. You're making it look dominant. I love that. Shout out to all the competitors, but uh, real big shout out to Mayrum. Yeah, I, I want to draw attention again to, to Mayrum's incredible wrestling game because I think mm -hmm. especially among the lighter weight categories right the roosters the light feathers the featherweights Mayrum has by far the, one of the best takedown games in the division I'd say probably him and Fabricio Andre maybe Lucas Pinheiro too are up there mm -hmm. uh, but you don't see too many guys competing at light feather who love to play top who love to wrestle for position um, and Mayrum's got incredible judo incredible grip setups and he always uses that to get a takedown this really first stood out to me uh, at BJJ Stars back at the end of 2022 when Mayrum, who, again, light featherweight world champion, was up in a lightweight division and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with every one of his opponents. He made it to the final where he lost to Mateus Gabriel, but not before going up against guys who are sometimes even middleweights, cutting down to, to lightweight, and wrestled with each of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool to see that change of Mill Hill Taylor was able to pull guard and do it, because then you get to see a little bit of, uh, you know, different avenues towards victory that Mayron was able to take. Not only do you get someone like Fabricio Andre, who's always going to stand up and challenge you in that wrestling game. He has some of the best wrestling in jiu-jitsu, but also, you know, you do get to see him against the Nagais, against the change of Mill Hill Taylors, against the more traditional play-into-guard jiu-jitsu style. And again, you get to see Mayron go out there and get the win on all of them so he kind of deserves you know i think you have him uh number one spot at light featherweight right now does he looking like he's climbing the ranks anymore in the pound for pound after this uh weekend so i'm hoping to build out the very first ranking set for 2023 
uh, later on this week. And I'd imagine, yeah, that Mayor Malvez will be in the top 10 pound for pound somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Haven't decided where yet, but he's made it very clear he should be among the top at light feather and possibly even feather, which is where 65 kilograms puts you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so huge congratulations to Mayor Malvez. He looked great, uh, as did the 75 kilogram champion here at Chance, Andy Murasaki. Now, Murasaki, of course, coming off of a dynamic win at Euros where he defeated all of his opponents, three of them by submission, four in total. Um, and he settled the score on the one person he wasn't able to submit. He didn't submit him again. Here We'll, we'll get into that. But Murasaki just looked phenomenal. He got through uh, Sung Moon Beck, um, Marcio Andre, and then Nathan Chung at the very end. So you asked me uh, before any big call-outs. Sung Moon Pak uh, came in. Yeah, he had pretty much his choice of opponents. I think it was Marcio Andre, Lucas Valente, and... Uh, Andy Murasaki left. Now, which when you say yeah, choice of opponents, that's murderer's row. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think everybody had Murasaki pinned as the favorite here in this division after sure. his performance at Euros. And he looks through the field of three guys left, walks down to Murasaki and says, "Let's do this." Yeah. All right. So, credit to him for calling out who I imagined to be the favorite in this division, and Andy kind of put it on him a little bit, right? He uh, he had a really Really slick uh, guard pull, mm-hmm. almost Tomonagi-style sweep directly to mount, mm-hmm. scored his six points, and then kind of settled back, took the back, finished the choke. Um, looked great there. Took it a little bit personally. I, said. I don't know. I think he just took it very very professionally, mm-hmm. right? That's, like, fair. That's fair. Yeah, trying to come out and win by submission, which is what we're all hoping to see. Um, just different levels to this thing, right? And Andy is toward the top of the lightweight division. Might be at the top of the lightweight division when this is all said and done. Um Against Marcio Andre, played a really tactical game, um, hit that sweep that Andy's been hitting a lot, so have a lot of his Atos teammates. Really, it's it's been a sweep popularized by Lucas Lepri back in the day, but that single leg X sweep, stand up with the single leg and the collar, and just put him down one way or the other. Andy mm-hmm. has been really incredible with that since his time at Brown Belt, but he looks like that is absolutely his number one weapon. He he tore through the, the division with it. In the end, in the in the final, he faced Nathan Chung, who they, they just two weeks ago they fought each other at Euros. Mm-hmm. It was a zero zero match, went to a single advantage for Murasaki. Andy proved he's developed leaps and bounds just in the last two or three weeks. Scored, I think it was nineteen points on Nathan in the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, just a night and day difference. A ten minute match going zero zero versus a six minute match going nineteen to zero. Uh, Andy kind of puts a stamp on this division, takes home the 10K, wins the Spider 75-kilogram division, still undefeated in, let's call it, seven matches in 2023 and looking like he's going to really make a run for it at Pans, possibly at Brasileiros, who knows, at Worlds. Um, Andy looking on fire. Yeah, and you got to give credit to all these high-level guys. Obviously, everyone in this tournament is part of the best of the best in the world. However, when you're dealing with someone like Murasaki, um, even if you are able to make the match a very close one early on, he's going to learn. He's going to take everything he can and come back to it. Corey, break this one down for us a little bit. This was that, uh, that I guess it's really not a Tomonagi, but in the, in the first uh, the first couple of seconds of that very first match, right, just that quick transition to mount, he pulls guard, looked almost like a scissor sweep. I don't really know what that sweep was, but he just knocked his opponent over, took the two points for the sweep, the four points for the mount, then pulled guard and went right back to business. 
Oh, yeah. And let's also call out, shout out Murasaki for making that final as entertaining as possible when 10K is on the line. It's really easy to clam up to have a, a much more, um, I don't know, less open game because, you know, you got a lot of money. You, you put 10K on the line for me, I'll do some crazy stuff. But Murasaki <laughs> went out there and to score almost 20 points in just, what, two, four minutes, whatever that is, that's crazy. That shows that not only are you here for the money, you're here for the fans. And we appreciate you, Andy Murasaki. One more match at the uh, at the chance event uh, on on Sunday. Damian Maya came back oh, in yeah. Nogi uh, and put on a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, da- Damian Maya, of course, one of the best in the business, regardless of age, uh, and scored 16 points in this 15 minute match. It took him 11 minutes to score 16 points and then win by Katagatami. I think we have uh, yeah we have the, the choke here. Um, just man, there are levels to this game, as you just said, Connor and and. Damian Meyer remains at the very top. 11 minutes to score 16 points is really incredible, especially when you're going to end it with a finish. It was a big weekend for the UFC and former UFC stars coming back. We had talked briefly about maybe uh, some of older athletes coming back and not being able to open up, not leading to the most exciting matches in the world. But, man, Damian Maya did not show that kind of jiu-jitsu. He went out there and put his pressure on and secured the finish, which is what we're all looking for here. Yeah, Damian Maya's pressure just remains mm-hmm. uh, at the very top level, right? You talk about um, the, those maybe older athletes in, the, you know, in their late 30s, early 40s, starting to focus a little bit more, less on dynamic movement and mm-hmm. more on just the kind of precise pressure that makes people quit. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Let's move on to upcoming events. I like it. We'll talk about uh, two weeks away, Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena 2 on Tezos, who's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, February 25th, just a couple weeks away now. There are uh, tickets still available, about 150 or so of them less. Um, and this match just – we've started to hear from, uh, from both the athletes a little bit in the last couple weeks, right? Uh, had a couple all-accesses go up on the site last week with, between Gordon and Felipe. Got to see a little bit into their their lives, their training camps. Felipe, of course, training over at Atos. Gordon training right here in our backyard. Um, Cole Abate visited uh, New Wave just this last weekend. Yeah, I saw that. Man, he's going to have like one of those silver beards like Gordon pretty soon. He keeps it up. It's uh, It's been really cool to watch kind of the the supporting cast of stars get uh, get into the mix with New Wave, with, uh, with Felipe and Atos. Because mm-hmm. um, this is a huge match, right? And um, regardless of who's helping them and, and who's kind of getting involved and who's joining the training camps for this, the stakes are high for both of these guys. Stakes are very high, and I think uh, both athletes really recognize that. Gordon called himself Thanos earlier on Instagram, which is kind of true. You know, you have all these uh, – there's there's very few uh, figures in the sport that can really unite people like Galvao, like Pena, like, you know, maybe some other athletes that seem to be chirping back and forth with them. But I love that because that really shows, you know, the stakes are high, like you said, uh, the athletes are aware. And if you haven't been able to follow along and check out just why that is, just why there's maybe a little bit of bad blood, maybe a little bit of hype around this training camp, you really should check out the vlogs on our YouTube channel. Trey Robinson, OG Trey, has been hooking us up with uh, all the ways to follow along with this Gordon versus Pena match. So super fun. Check that out. Um, This should be one of the 
you know, matches of the year to really set the tone for, you know, what the rest of the landscape looks like here in 2023. Um, you know, this is going to be kind of one of those defining moments, and I don't expect the same kind of controversy that maybe we saw in the last match, which really kind of excites me because, you know, there was a little bit of disappointment of maybe not having the be finalized, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where to go after the last one, so this is feels like a more official update to the story right. for me. And for me, that, that adds just a different level of... Um, importance mm-hmm. on this fourth match, right? And I'm not going to go into the full rivalry because it's a seven-year-long story that goes all the way back to 2016. You don't right? feel like you can just sum it up real quick? For- no, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, Felipe won the first match, right? Won yeah. it by submission in a 45-minute scheduled match. He won it at about the 40-minute mark. They met again, ADCC absolute final. Uh, Felipe uh, doesn't submit Gordon the second time around, but he does take his back with just about two minutes left on the clock. That three points enough to put him two and zero over yep. Gordon. Now, Not really a question of that victory either. Right, one of those. Right. Yeah. And now with that, right, two and zero, you think this match is never going to happen again, right? We've uh, the, the, anybody who's won a match against Gordon Ryan twice most likely to sail away and and uh, right never 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 hear about that match again. <laughs> yeah, but. We got lucky. August 2022, mm-hmm. uh, Gordon and Felipe signed the contracts. We're ready to go for this third match. This time, a no time limit bout on who's number one. Uh, and yeah, these two, great time at the press conference. They're, they're really kind of chirping back and forth, having a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, both men extremely confident going into this match. And the match played out. You know, it was a 44-minute match. The first 30 minutes of that match, incredibly competitive. Yeah, I know a lot of people online were saying that they thought it was going to be a blowout, and it was very, very far from that, very far. It was incredibly close. Uh, You know, there was some talk about whether, uh, you know, Gordon thought Penna looked like he was breaking towards the end there, but, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, from my eyes, that was probably the closest Gordon match we've seen ever since, I mean, since, like, what, 2019, before 2019? There really hasn't been that, that competitive of a match. Uh, I mean, in my eyes, Corey, you're obviously more educated on it. Maybe you've seen something, but that was one of those moments where, you know, Gordon normally just melts past people's guards, and that was super not able to happen this time around. Uh, And and so this match, uh, again, kind of back and forth for the first half an hour. In that final 14 minutes or so, something switches, and Mm -hmm. and Felipe starts to uh, lose some energy. It looks a little bit less interested in competing, and at the 44-minute mark, he quits without a submission in place. Now, to me, this kind of added, as you mentioned, maybe like a, a, a distaste to the match, which was going so well. And um, I'm sure everybody, Gordon himself included, wanted this to end in submission one way or the other with some degree of finality to it. Now, that's not to take anything away from Gordon. Gordon mm-hmm. won the match. He won the match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that going into this, a fourth match makes this just so much more looking for the answer, right? It's trying to find this, this final submission is really important in not just saying that, okay, we're two and two and I've won the last two for Gordon, mm-hmm. but also that, that third one for sure was not a fluke. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm sure Gordon Ryan knows in his mind that that was not a fluke, but to prove it to the, any of the doubters right mm-hmm. out there must be important. And for Felipe, looking to close the door, right? Yeah. If he if he's leaves this match three and one with the first two and the fourth and the third and the yeah, with the, the first two matches and the fourth match won, that's it. 
this match is never happening again. Yeah, you close that door and you probably post about it every day on Instagram <laughs> if you're Felipe Pena. At least I would. You know, you got to kind of uh, rock that rock that out there. But, uh, yeah, man, super exciting. Um, I think it's going to be cool because we did not get to see – Gordon obviously faced Pena way back in the day. That was a much younger Gordon. And then when they got back on the mats in August, you know, he finally got his hands back on him, and I'm sure for both of them, I mean, for Pena and for Gordon, being able to kind of feel each other again after all those years and what it's like to compete on that high of a, a level of the stage, uh, I think it's going to be really important. I wonder if, you know, that impacts this second or this fourth match, excuse me, the second who's number one match between them, uh, you know. But I'm curious kind of what their takeaways were from it uh, and if John Donahair is working to – or what John Donahair is working to, uh, you know, account for since that match. I know John Donahair is always thinking everything through and kind of coming up with game plans no matter what. So uh, it'll be really interesting to to see what changes they both make. Uh, if they both come out with a different level of confidence, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm excited to see it. Now, one thing I'm curious about, and I don't want to speculate too much on this because mm-hmm. I, I think – we need to wait to have this conversation until after the fourth, fourth match is over. Sure. But Gordon is the kind of athlete who doesn't like an even score, yep. right? Gordon wants to to be able to say firmly and completely that I am better than that guy. Yep. It's he's he's calling out everybody who's ever beat him, mm-hmm. and then he's calling out everybody who's ever escaped submission from him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like he has a hit list of guys guys who have beaten me, yeah. and then guys who have gotten away without tapping. Mm-hmm. Right. So if Gordon wins the wins the the second match or the fourth match here, and he's two and two against Felipe, is that enough? I think we're going to see a, a a third match, especially with Gordon. If Gordon can get that victory and can really tie it up for the sake of a record, I don't think Gordon's going to leave it there. I hope he doesn't leave it there. Uh, but you know, again, I think going back to my my last comment, like I'm curious to see the change between August and now, and if we see something you know, uh, much different if Gordon's up, Gordon ends up getting the win is what are the big changes that can then be made for the for the next match down the line? I don't know. I, I think it could be, you know, we're already getting off to the start of or in the midst of one of the best rivalries of the sport. Uh, so, you know, this is just the next chapter, and there could be many more chapters here. Of course, that's not all happening on Tezos, who's number one, Ryan versus Bennett. Two, on February 25th, uh, this match, the no time limit match for the heavyweight title. The co main event, uh, Gordon's teammate, Giancarlo Bodoni, mm-hmm. will challenge uh, Felipe's teammate and the reigning who's number one light heavyweight champion, Pedro Mourinho, for the light heavyweight title. Uh, also, JT Torres and Majid Hage making mm-hmm. their who's number one debuts against each other. Jasmine Hocha and Amanda Bruce making their who's number one debuts in a rematch from the ADCC West Coast trial semifinal. Uh, Oliver Taza will be uh, kind of defending his turf a little bit against uh, uh, who's number one debutante, Jonathan Gracie, and then Renee Souza and Kieran Kachuk kicking off kicking off the main card in the battle between Buggy Choke Specialist and the False Reap Leglock Extraordinaire, Kieran Kachuk. That's super fun. And keep an eye out because we will be announcing prelims presumably pretty soon, actually. Those are going to be free on YouTube. Correct me if I'm wrong. Our prelims are always free on YouTube, free on Facebook. So you'll all be able to check that out if even if you don't have a Flow subscription. We forgive you. Totally fine. We're going to give you some freebies. I've had a lot of people ask me about who's going to be on the prelim matchups looking for spots. So keep an eye out. 
New should be coming soon. Super fun matchups all the way up and down that card. We get Renee back. We get Lock and Strangle, Kieran Kitchik on the card. I, I love the word debutante. I did not expect debutante being used in today's podcast. We get Janathis Trent coming out against Taza. Love to see it, man. And the ball doesn't stop there, right? Because one week after who's number one, uh, IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix is back right here, right in this very building in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah, got to love that. And there's some big changes coming up with this one. We've done it before, uh, but I know that that was something we were really excited getting into. But it's not just rule changes, which we had talked briefly about last week, but also it looks like we have a slight change up in some of the athletes showing up, right? That's right. Uh, Mateus Gabriel uh, pulled out of the lightweight Grand Prix, the four-man lightweight Grand Prix, uh, but his teammate, Sam Nagai, who we were just talking about earlier, stepped up, stepped up, stepped right in to this lightweight Grand Prix. Uh, Nagai is generally a featherweight, so he will most likely be the smallest man in this division, which includes, of course, Andy Murasaki, uh, Jonathan Alves, and Carlos Inhiki. Um, so stack division full of, uh, I mean, Murasaki, of course, 7-0 this year already, European champion, uh, John, uh, Jonathan Alves, probably the favorite here, a three-time Pan champion. Carlos Hiki, a little bit of a wild card in that he is a brown belt world champion. Uh, he recently won the silver, the silver medal at the Nogi Worlds, uh, but less established than the rest of these names. And, of course, Sam Nagai, the smallest of the bunch, uh, the newcomer of the bunch, but always just a firecracker. I expect any match with him is going to be a battle, whether it's with Murasaki or Alves or Hiki first, um, I, I think. He adds a, a different energy than Mateus Gabriel to this division. Gabriel, of course, in this division was the reigning world champion, probably would have been the number one seed, very established, uh, exciting in his own right, but in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say Gabriel, a little bit more of a sniper, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Nagai, a little bit more of a machine gun. Yeah, absolutely. Mateus Gabriel, really infamous for that 50-50 armbar that he locks up on, on seemingly everyone. But same only guy coming in with a, a, a very technical bottom man's game, which if you're going to come in as the small man in any division, I'm I'm happy to see it being uh, you know the style of Nagai, of you know, grabbing onto the gi and just dragging him slowly into to the deepest waters until the sweep just happens. It, it doesn't really feel like whenever the guy's on the mat, you know, athletes see what's coming until they're in the middle of it and they realize they're drowning. Now, how that plays out against larger com- uh, opponents, you know, I think that's going to be the real test for the guy here, especially coming on, uh, you know, underweight, last second replacement. and But he does have the confidence coming from, you know, uh, this some chance tournament he, he's been competing this year so um, I'm excited to see how it plays out how do you think that size discrepancy uh, will work for or against him in this tournament I mean uh, particularly uh, Jonathan Alves and Murasaki are strong and heavy top players mm-hmm. um, but it's just going to add a different dynamic right uh, I'm sure Nagai is not going to want to get caught in that pressure versus pressure or strength versus strength game he's going to want to play kind of around the outside but that's where he works best anyway right um and i've thought of uh, i I can think of several instances several occasions where the guy has shocked us all surprised Mm -hmm. us all with um which is what he's able to do he likes playing the underdog i think that's where he succeeds where he thrives so this is a great opportunity for him to show that and there's ten thousand dollars on the line we know how he plays when that happens Mm -hmm. um so excited to see what's come of that um as Connor alluded to, that's not the only news, the only uh, major change coming to this IBJJF Grand Prix. Now, we're about a month late on this. I've been 
waiting for the opportunity to talk about this, but of course, the IBJJF announced that for specifically for the IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix Series, there would be a new set of rules to kind of try and uh, do away with some of the stalling tactics that take place in your day-to-day opens and uh, public publicly access available tournaments. Yeah, um, I have a lot of questions around these. Not because they're bad. I think these are really good rule changes, but I think there's going to be a lot of technicalities that we're going to run into with this IBJJF like GP trial of figuring out how the rules are implemented. Because I think much more often than you know big rule changes coming and affecting things, it's a lot more about how the refs internalize the rule or the rule change and try and implement it within the match. So that's what I'm curious about. I got a lot of questions for it, but I guess the first off I'm curious about why the difference? Why are they making this rule for the GP and maybe not some of these opens, some of these, you know, majors, some of these opportunities where you would have a hundred people testing out your rules rather than one or two? I think the the major difference here in the um, participatory tournaments and the this particular GP, this GP series, is that this is a professional event, right? Mm-hmm. It's a professional tournament. Or professional athletes and when that happens like what, what's different what's differentiating me going in and competing at the austin open from samuel and the guy going in and competing for ten thousand dollars is that the rules for that event are stringent they're, they're strict they're tough to they're, they're tough to abide by but it's necessary that they are because this is a professional tournament which means we need to uphold a certain standard for professional athletes if for no other reason than because Fans, spectators are taking the time out of their day, sitting down, paying money to watch this event. They want to be entertained. They deserve to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes the rules need to be changed in order to do it. This jujitsu is not the only sport to make rules different for professional tournaments, right? For sure. I mean, you have in football, um, you know, we saw a lot of evidence of this yesterday, but uh, in, in high school and college, if I catch, catch a ball, Step one foot inbounds, then one foot out of bounds. That's a completion. Mm-hmm. Professional football, two feet have to be in bounds. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Why? Because it's more exciting that way. It's a little bit harder. And mm-hmm. because it's harder to enforce, it means that the, uh, the top-level athletes are the ones that are able to do it. And it should be harder. It should be harder to score. Yep. Uh, it should be a little bit more challenging, but it's also more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's, that's particularly for, let's call it scoring or, or offensive maneuvers, but same thing happens with clock management, right? Every single sport has a rule that stops me from, you know, let's say in hockey, scoring a goal and then just holding the puck against the board so that nobody else can touch it, right? Of course, of it's course. delay of game. Every sport has a delay of game, a play clock, a shot clock, and it's necessary not just for, I mean, of course, for the fans and the spectators to be able to sit there and watch it for an hour, for two hours, mm-hmm. but also so that... I can't just use my knowledge of the rules and my my new advantage that I get early on in the match to make it entirely unfair and unplayable. Yeah, so just for our fans out there, because we may have used a term that we maybe use internally a little bit more, when we say participatory, right, that means Corey, that means you, the fan. You can go sign up for whatever IBJJF major, IBJJF open, you so choose. That makes that kind of a participation Based event now, obviously, black belt world champions, black belt pan champions, all of those still get the crowd going. People want to watch it. That is viewer friendly. However, that is what ten percent of the larger 
IBJJF tournament week that that goes into. So when we talk about participant, it's kind of a nicer term for saying amateur because we understand even the high-level brown belts, purple belts that maybe aren't technically professionals, we don't want to call them amateurs, right? Because they're they're very far from that as far as skill level goes. And I think in the long run, these rules could play a role in, let's call it like a black belt league, right? Mm-hmm. Or for for the world championship black belt divisions, the stalling rules are a little bit more heavily enforced. Or for yep. the world championship, like however you want to break that down, of course, these rules may eventually trickle down, but they need to start with the professional level because they're they're designed for the for the professionals to be able to endure, it's not going to be easy. Let, let maybe let's talk about the rules and we'll break them down a little bit. And why mm-hmm. it's kind of going to be hard for an amateur competitor to maintain, but a standard that we should definitely hold professional athletes to. Yeah. Um, so Nico, if you want to pull up the uh, the rules, we'll take a look at the one of the the most crucial changes. I think is the definition of stalling in general. Um, so the rule here is lack of combativeness or stalling is defined by one athlete clearly not pers- uh, pursuing positional progress in a match. So this has changed from uh, the current rule, the existing rule in other tournaments where uh, uh, athletes are also penalized for working to stop that progression. Right. So essentially what that means is uh, the the way the average of rule, rules work right now, it's very common to see you know, several seconds or minutes of inaction and both athletes receiving penalties for, uh, for inactivity. Mm-hmm. This rule puts the onus on the referees a little bit to identify which athlete is clearly not trying to do anything, clearly not trying to progress, and then giving one athlete a stalling penalty, which I love that rule change. It just it makes it more clear, okay, you're not working, you get a penalty, you need to keep working, otherwise you're going to get another one. Because if we keep playing this game of both people get penalties, that means nobody gets penalties. Yeah, it kind of does just like even it out. And I, I love more stalling rules, period. Um, I think I've, I've heard some people online maybe giving a little bit of pushback to this, but I come from high school wrestling days where if you take a step off that front line, you're hit with a penalty immediately, right? And I think that's how it should be. A similar to high school wrestling, they're not handing out double stalling calls all the time because at the end of the day, you have to put it on someone. The onus of responsibility has to be owned by one of the athletes. Otherwise, right, we have the most boring match in the world, Corey. We both have, you know, four penalties or three penalties or whatever for stalling. And then, like, what? Do the fans get double DQ a bunch more like that that doesn't actually help the sport that doesn't help the spectator experience it certainly doesn't help the athletes so I'm a big fan of this uh, but I know some of that online talk referenced judo as one of the sports that had kind of taken a step towards tweaking their rules uh, maybe with some pushback that I don't think maybe we'll uh, you know see in this kind of circumstance but i was curious i know we're kind of going through the rule changes but stopping at that first one why is it important that they came in and and actually made these changes i I mean i understand that the pushback toward judo and how olympic judo in, in some perspectives has kind of been crushed right in a way that has done away with some of the art of the sport in order to make it more spectator friendly and has gotten rid of some of the most compelling parts of judo like the leg grabs and the the things that look like wrestling takedowns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they've altered the rules to make it more spectator-friendly, or, or at least that's the interpretation of what happened. Um, the IBJJF 
as far as I've heard from them, do not want to modify rules, right? They, mm-hmm. they, because jujitsu at the end of the day is a martial art. It's also a sport, but yes, it's a martial art. And the beauty of the martial art is that the athletes are kind of responsible for identifying, man, 50-50 with lapel sucks. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't want to be caught in this position. I don't want to have to use this position. How do we get around this, mm-hmm. right? And that allows the art to continue to build itself. The IBJJF wants to enable that. They want mm-hmm. to give the athletes the opportunity, give the coaches the opportunity to figure out a way around it rather than stepping in and saying, nope, don't do that. You can't do that. Never mind. That's, that's not allowed, yeah. right? So in some scenarios, and especially like we're talking about in the professional scenario, sure, there's an opportunity to craft your way out of that position, and that can be done at the Opens or at Pans or at Euros or Brasileiros or Worlds or anywhere else, but not when there's people who are paying to sit and watch you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally fair. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's kind of continue on with some of these other rules. Um, the the second major change, the penalty for lack of combat uh, combativeness will follow the sequence below after the referee considers one or both athletes to partake in stalling. Um, the referee will count to 10 seconds and then signal lack of combativeness with verbal command, uh, referring to the penalty, uh, referring the penalty to the uh, athlete, uh, referring the penalty to be applied to the athlete. Essentially what that means, the differentiator between this and the existing rule is that in the existing rule, it's a 20 second count. Right? So, Which is a long time. It is, but it's, it's something that we've kind of come to accept because jujitsu is a slow moving sport, mm-hmm. like it or not, right? Grips take a while to set up and. Um, it, it takes a while for athletes to get going. But at the professional level, 10 seconds, plenty of time. So during this event, you may see um, an athlete, uh, a referee kind of give that look like nothing's happening. He'll do this. Mm-hmm. Athlete's got 10 seconds. The unofficial warning. Right. I mean, that, that's an official warning, oh, more okay. or less. Yeah. Like I, th- I think, don't uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think in the rule book that the look to indicate the look at the watch is an indication that somebody here is stalling. You got to figure it out. You better move on. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Yeah, I love it. It's mm-hmm. an indication that you need to do something. And uh, if this works out as planned, whichever athlete is not, will get the penalty. One of them will get the penalty and we'll get more action out of it. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in the rule book and you look up and the ref is checking their watch, move. Right? <laughs> right. I don't know if that is a rule or not, but it, it, here's your warning. Here's rule number three, which I think is uh, has been the most well-received by fans. I, I'm certainly hugely in favor of this rule, particularly because of what Lapel 50-50 has done to the sport thus far. Uh, rule number The rule change number three, if an athlete is in the 50-50 guard position and grips the lapel or the belt of the opponent, the athlete will have 10 seconds to pursue positional progression before receiving a penalty for lack of combativeness as described in rule one. An athlete will will receive a penalty as described rule two uh, if positional progression has not been achieved after 10 seconds regardless of the intention. Basically. Basically what this means is an athlete who is in 50-50 and grabs the lapel has 10 seconds to use it or lose it and get hit with a penalty. Mm-hmm. Love it. 10 seconds in, we talked about 10 seconds, 20 seconds is a long time. 10 seconds is not a long time with using the 50-50 lapel position, but if it's not identified as a long time, it can become six minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes, right? Yeah, for And that's sure. so difficult to watch because it is a nuanced position. It's complicated. It's not not jujitsu. It's just not spectator-friendly jujitsu. Yeah. This is a brand new rule. There is no rule in 
the official rulebook right now um, that relates to lapel 50-50 specifically. But I think this is a huge rule and benefit of the spectator. And what that means is if an athlete insists on using a lapel, they've got to show us right away what they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to love that. And just to call out, so I want to I want to summarize these briefly, but I do want to point out, out of the three rules, this one is clearly targeted at a very specific position. The other two rules seem like they can just basically account for any moment of the jiu-jitsu match. If you look like you are not trying to work towards that positional dominance, that positional progression, then you're going to get hit, and it gives us the tools to do so. Basically, first off, correct me if I'm wrong, just for the viewers and myself, right? First part, it puts, it's going to get rid of as much double stalling calls, right? This is, we're going to clearly define who is responsible for the positional progression, and we're going to penalize that person. Secondly, that penalty will now be implemented not after 20 seconds, but after 10, right? So that's what we're doing. We're giving someone the responsibility, and we're putting them on a quick timer. And this one is specifically for 50-50 lapel, which to me, like, it feels like these could be applied to that without that specific rule, but it really just shows that IBJJF is looking at targeting that position as a big no-no, as a, as a big problem position for getting the kinds of matches that maybe they're not as excited about right. seeing. And and like I said, I, I hope that um, this position is kind of left to figure itself out, right? Mm-hmm. The last thing I want is to start getting in a situation where any organization comes in and says, well, that position's banned because it's boring, and that position's banned because I've, I've seen one too many matches where nobody does anything once they get there. Yeah. And that position, because we're going to get to the point where mount is banned. Yep. Back control is banned, yep. right? And that's clearly what the IBJJF wants not to do. That's, that should be what we as fans of the martial art want not to happen. I'm hoping that uh, that position 55th with the bell starts to figure itself out so that it becomes an interesting and useful and worthwhile position in certain circumstances, just so long as that circumstance is not, let's slow this thing down yeah. and make sure nothing ever happens. Because as somebody who loves jiu-jitsu, wants to see it become a spectator sport, we need to allow this to exist as a sport that is friendly for us to watch. Mm-hmm. I will call out a few questions that I had around this because I think a lot of it is up to a little bit of interpretation. And I'm going to hit Corey with just a few questions, right? So first off, positional progress. If you are in, um, if we're talking only about rule three, does positional progress, if we're in 50-50 or 50-50 lapel and I'm the bottom man, does it count if I come up on the sweep or for the advantage or the sweep or whatever the case is, does that count as positional progress? And then does the bottom guy, is that an avenue for the bottom guy to show positional progress as well? Are we going to fall into a similar kind of teeter-tottle sweep battle um, that we are currently? Or is it just going to be you can do it once and then you're kind of put on the clock as far as 10 seconds, you've used positional progression to go from bottom 50-50 lapel to top 50-50 or uh, lapel or otherwise, right? Now, are you just responsible for extracting yourself from the position? Is there another avenue for you to continue looking for that, uh, you know, positional dominance? What's the game plan afterwards? Uh, I may have to defer that to an average referee because it's, it's, I think a lot of these rules are open to interpretation. However, I'd imagine that the back and forth is not so much progress as it is a different way of stalling. But who knows? I think we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, either way, I think even if we end up in that back and forth battle, 
Um, one thing that 50-50 with lapel does is stops that from ever occurring. So mm-hmm. if we can do away with that to start, mm-hmm. we get a position where trying to get on top, you're going to give an opening in between your legs to Somewhere. utilize the technicalities of 50-50 to get to the back, whatever. I think any kind of progression here is good progression. Um, but I'm interested in seeing how some of these rules get interpreted um, which we will find out hopefully on March 3rd. Yeah, super fun. We get to see it live, and then afterwards they get to pick Corey's brain for exactly why everything happened the way it did. <laughs> so if you guys are going to be watching, tune in afterwards, because we'll have that Grappling Bulletin podcast so he can teach a dummy like me exactly why the rules are the way they are. One more event I want to recap before mm-hmm. we get out of here. The uh, uh, Midwest Finishers 12 took place on Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, they had a 16-man absolute tournament as well as an eight-team three-on-three email tournament. We're going to get into both of those. Um, first things first, Andre Porfirio, now a two-division title at Midwest Finishers. He came in as the reigning 205-pound champ, walked away with also the absolute title. This was an absolute tournament. He submitted three of his opponents in regulation, one in overtime in the final. He submitted Achilles Rocha. Uh, with an ankle lock to win the title and the prize money. Yeah, you got to love that. I know Andre Porfirio is at almost every IBJJF major, if not at every IBJJF major, and he hasn't always gotten the results that he wanted, but it's so fun to watch him coming onto the scene with these Midwest finishers, with you know some of maybe the smaller competitions that aren't as official as an IBJJF pans, and really showing what he can do in a fun way. Obviously got the win over some names like Achilles Rocha, etc., um, you know, but I was super excited to just see him out there competing. What did you think about it, Corey? Yeah, great, great as always to see Andre come out and compete. He's been doing really well on, I mean, you mentioned how, how regular he's been on the IBJJF circuit for so long, but he's been doing really well on the EBI circuit. Mm-hmm. He competed out at EBI at the very end of last year, uh, and then he's been up and down in the finisher circuit. Of course, as I mentioned, he won the light heavyweight title, now also the absolute champ. He's just doing really well. I saw uh, Sogi, that, that tournament out in Long Island, was in his inbox uh, they have a heavyweight tournament coming up, which we'll get to in a bit. So I'm hoping maybe, uh, or maybe, I don't know if it's a heavyweight tournament, but it's uh, a heavyweight championship one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping he gets involved in that as well because he's showing that not only is he one of the best in the IBJJF rule set, but also proving that he's very skilled in the EBI rule set. So happy to see him out there. Um, let's talk about the three-on-three team tournament uh, where team top dogs came out. Um, and won the whole thing. This was a really interesting tournament, so uh, I'm going to use the word quintet. Of course, there were not five of them. Or there were three of them, but a quintet-style tournament, right? So um, one athlete stays in until they lose or until it goes to a draw. If it's a draw, both athletes lose and are out, but if one athlete wins by submission and regulation, they stay in for the next, uh, the next athlete. Uh, this tournament won by Team Top Dogs, which consisted of Claire North, uh, Janine McIver, and Felicia uh, Marshall. Sorry if I butchered your names. Looked dominant. Claire North, one of the uh, unsung champions in uh, in the lightweight area, lightweight, featherweight, middleweight, women's jiu-jitsu right now. She is a phenomenal finisher. Um, got a great back take. She's got insane leg locks. And just a real... She goes for the kill. She's exactly what we're looking for when we talk about an athlete who is a finisher, submission hunter. 
Yeah, and you got to love it being on this kind of format really works for that kind of style of jiu-jitsu, looking for the finish, always looking for it, and I'm sure teammates really appreciated it as yeah. well. And, of course, the final, uh, Janine McIver came in in the clutch. Uh, both North and Marcio uh, went to draws, leaving one athlete on each team left. This was going to go start to go into overtime, uh, but, of course, Janine says not letting that happen here. She wins by submission with just a minute left on the clock, is able to win this thing in regulation and uh, win the title and the purse for her team. Got to love that, man. Loving Midwest finishers, always coming out with some heat, always coming out with great cards. So keep it up, guys, man. We, we love to see more of it over here on the flow side of things. Yeah, re- really great to watch these tournaments popping up, bringing on top-level talent and delivering fantastic shows. Uh, this one was great to watch. I recommend go back to watch the replay. Watch through uh, Andre's run. Watch through the three-on-three tournament. Some really interesting matches. Some really top-level names in both of those tournaments. Um, which brings us to the upcoming events. Mm-hmm. Of course, we already talked about Tezos, who's number one, Gordon Ryan versus Philippe Pena, two. That is uh, February 25th, just a couple days away now out in Costa Mesa, California. There are still about 130 or so tickets left. Um, go get them. Go get them. It's it's wrapping up. We started with way more than that. Uh, so I, I'd imagine that once we announce the undercard, those things are going to be gone. If you have any interest in coming out and seeing this live, which, believe me, it's a crazy experience. Mm-hmm. I've had the luxury in doing this, of sitting Matt's side for almost every who's number one, and it is always just amazing to be there in person and see it. Um, so definitely want to come see it live if you can. If not, of course, tune in on Flow Grappling and watch it along with us, uh, either live or on demand. Uh, following that, just a day later, Finishers uh, Finishers Sub Only is coming back in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for Finishers Combat 4. Mm-hmm. Two titles on the line. Uh, Vanessa Griffin will defend... 155 pound strap against Trinity Pun, who is the reigning 145 pound champion. And then there is a 185 pound unification match between Sean Yadamarco, the interim champion, and Kamoy. An- Sorry, I have that wrong. Sean Yadamarco, the reigning champion, and Kamoy Anderson, the interim champion. Yeah, nice save there, Corey. The, both of these athletes have been on Who's Number One before. I believe uh, Sean Yadamarco went up against Andrew Tackett. Uh, Kamoy Anderson went up against Gino Morelli. I believe both of those were undercard matchups. But uh, super exciting to see both of these athletes kind of facing off, um, going to go after each other. I trained with Kamoy. Great guy. Sean Yadamarco has reached out to us. He's been uh, super helpful for the Flow crew. So we appreciate both of these guys and excited to see him throw down uh, over there. You said that was up in Bethlehem? Is that, is that going to be our guy, Zach? Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, under, uh, under yeah, finisher sub only with Zach Mislany on the 26th. The following week, March 3rd, we talked about it extensively, the IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix. The uh, me- the four man lightweight division consists, of course, of Andy Murasaki, Samuel Nagai, Jonathan Alves, and Carlos Inhiki. The four women's heavyweight Grand Prix includes four world champions. Uh, that's Ooh. Anna Carolina Vieira, the five time world champion, uh, Nachielli de Jesus, the two time world champion, Andressa Sintra, also a two time world champion, and Melissa Queto, the one time world champion. So a lot of hardware in that division. It's going to oh, be yeah. really exciting. Five, four of the top women's heavyweights in the world. Um, of course, also on the card, the long-awaited super fight 
between Tynan Dalpera and Izaki Bayens. Both of them world champions. Tynan defeated Izaki in kind of a controversial match at the 2021 IBJJF World Championship where Tynan won his first world title. Izaki won it, I think, back in 2018. Tynan, now a two-time world champion. But this special match, 30-minute match, using the new rules that we uh, talked about pretty extensively earlier on today. Um, both of these men training really hard. Both of these men getting really into kind of the, uh, the the games and the talk and the mental warfare that goes into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a little bit more on that coming later this week. Um, these, these guys have been kind of silently and subtly chipping at each other a little bit. It's great to see. Yeah, it's like when you're angrily standing across the room from someone you don't like, but you don't say anything, and you're just kind of staring at each other. Now, I'm not going to say they don't like each other, but that's kind of the vibe that I get. There's a lot of underlying tension between these two. Because, I mean, really, I think Izaki is one of the few people that can notably challenge Tynan for going, hey, I may be better than you, because Tynan's really showing everyone else, no, you're not. But Izaki, you know, he has a claim to the match. He's got that really close match between him and Tynan from a couple years ago. I love that we get to run it back and we get to do it under a, like a experimental, it's not an experimental rule set, but some experimental rule changes. We got the best in the IBJJF to tackle one of, uh, you know, the IBJJF's most difficult kind of challenges as far as creating rule sets that lead to exciting jiu-jitsu. You can't really ask for more than that. Following week, uh, Sogi Heavyweight Championship, March 11th, the main event is Alex Nemeth versus the adult slayer, Pachagoli. Uh, more on that card to come. And then about a month from, uh, a little over a month from today, uh, March 21st through March 26th, the IBJJF Pan Championships returns. The roster for that event is already kind of filling out. Uh, some notable big-name black belts sliding in there. Uh, we're keeping our eyes on that. We'll let you know when... Uh, some of the European champions and the world champions start getting involved. But rumor, rumor has it that many of the athletes who took European titles are coming back to try and continue their Grand Slam campaigns. Mm-hmm. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you informed on that. But fans should be, I'd imagine, maybe one of the most exciting fans ever. All of these athletes really hungry to start attacking for that Grand Slam. Love to see it. Love to see uh, that that title is getting a little bit more attention from, if nothing else, the athletes. Um, so a lot more to come on Flow Grappling this year. The season just getting started. Uh, Two months of some really exciting yeah. jiu-jitsu. You got who's number one. You got an IBJJF major. You got an IBJJF Grand Prix. You got all these smaller shows that are really kind of like stacking the deck for athletes to uh, show why they deserve maybe on a who's number one card, maybe on some of these other ones. If you're a jiu-jitsu fan, you're at the right place. Yeah, plenty of opportunity for the jiu-jitsu athletes, for the jiu-jitsu fans to, uh, to continue enjoying the sport we all love. Um, that's going to be it for this episode of the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. Tune in next week where we will go a little further, hopefully, into who's number one. I'm sure we'll have some news on the undercard there and much, much more. Thank you all for watching. Catch you next week. Later.